Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone, and welcome along to the show. I'm really glad you could join me as today we get the chance to speak with Jessica Tribus. Now, Jessica was in town for the Future of Learning conference, and her background and life story was fascinating because she was there during the dot-com bubble in Silicon Valley. So we hear a lot about that as well as her working for Drew Barrymore. There's lots of different rabbit holes that we jump into. If you enjoy this episode, then you might want to check out some of the earlier conversations that I've had with people as well. There's also a website at theseeds.nz, and you can sign up for a newsletter there. And a big thank you and shout out to the Future of Learning team, in particular Hamish, Cheryl, and Louisa, for helping make the interviews done at the Future of Learning conference possible. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Jessica Tribus to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really special to have you here because I know you've come over specially for this Future of Learning conference, right? That's right. And your first time in New Zealand? This is my first time. Yeah, well, I'm so glad. At least yesterday, anyway, it was a really beautiful, summery type of day, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I got here a few days ago, and I spent some time in Wellington, mm-hmm. and then uh, took the ferry across to the South Island to spend some time in Marlborough, and I'll be heading south and then uh, west after that. Great. All right. Well, you'll get to see lots of New Zealand. So what we do on this show is we talk about people's lives and kind of trying to trace what's shaped them into who they are today. And just before we hit record, we were saying, you know, it's in a way your life, it's weaving together a number of different aspects as an entrepreneur and educator and involved in the workforce and things. So, But before we talk about what you're doing today, if we could just go back in time and tell us a little bit about where you're from. Yeah, well, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was born and bred there. I went away for school, went away uh, to California for a few years to work in Silicon Valley and, and ended up coming back. So that that childhood then in Pittsburgh, like take us back to your, what was it like as a five and six year old? Like, let's go right back to that time. Well, so I'm I'm a very physical person Mm -hmm. today even. um, And so I spent much of my childhood uh, outdoors. Uh, I was an athlete. I played every sport. um, And that really defined me um, in a big way. I also spent my time indoors uh, playing video games and computer games Mm -hmm. and uh, was very interested in um, potentially programming these computers, not for programming sake, but because I could see that, um, you know, that some of the games had graphics and stories and Mm. worlds that uh, I wanted to to be be in. Mm. Um, So those are the kinds of things that... uh, really excited me mm. um so even know. as a child you were sort of thinking along those lines yeah and i was always sort of starting businesses um you know one of my first business was like selling um selling stuff i didn't want from my bedroom mm-hmm. <laughs> in my bedroom and you know i took the time to set up a shop and put and uh it was my older sister that pointed out that no one comes by <laughs> to my bedroom <laughs> right. from the public so that I needed a, a marketing plan. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So you're learning skills from an early age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I always, um, 
I was always hustling uh, to an extent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was you know picking up a paper route or uh, washing cars or offering to do work in people's lawns mm. for money. So what's the origin of that, do you think? Um, I worked as a kid. I mean, uh, our parents, you know, we always had chores and we couldn't do anything until we did those chores. And if we didn't do the right, we have to do them again. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you know, my father's kind of attitude was, well, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, but at least you know how to work with right. your hands. Yeah. And so, um, it, you know, when I wanted things, like I wanted to play boys ice hockey, um, which I ended up going to a Division One ice hockey school for that. But I wanted to play, and my parents said, no, <laughs> no way. Uh, and they said, plus the, the equipment is, you know, what, $700 if you don't have anything. Um, so they pretty much figured that, that you know, that would, that would be a barrier. Um, so I picked up a paper route, and uh, as soon as I made $700, I quit the paper route and, you know, spent my time then uh, practicing my skating. Hmm. With the equipment that I bought. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's always fascinating to work out is, are things sort of, are you born with them or is it skills that you've learned, you know? Um, and it sounds like the entrepreneurial streak was something that was there. Yeah. So when I was in grad school, there were classes on uh, entrepreneurship. And um, I, I didn't really know what it was as mm -hmm. sort of a thing, as a, as a definition, even in my, you know, early 20s. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of this one class was around um, basically the personality mm -hmm. of an entrepreneur. And, you know, uh, I'm looking around like, oh, my gosh, they're, you know, these are bad things. They're but this is me. This, they're talking about me. Mm -hmm. um, I've had personality tests taken. And, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed by this. But, you know, some of it is, is high risk um, and low attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people that work with me laugh when they, they see sort of the output of this because this explains so much. Right. <laughs> so you see the big picture and let's go for it. And yeah, like I don't see all the whys, like why, you know, why you wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. You know, I see sort of the, the problem and I see the, the, the movement of the solution. And in my mind, it's like, yeah. It's a done deal. We're, mm. Yeah, we're going in that direction. Mm. And you mentioned um, computer games and being a child kind of wanting to code or get behind telling the story. Um, what age were you at that sort of time? Well, I was pretty young. So, um, so I was born in 77, and I got my first computer for Christmas. Um, I think in 1987, I got, you know, a, mm -hmm. an IBM PC with speakers and an extra um, uh, drive, disk drive, and uh, it, it was it was pretty it was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and so so 10 is when I started mm. with that. And uh, honestly, I never learned how to program. Mm. Uh, I, I think I took um, a couple you know, someone came over and tutored me on a couple of things like reformatting disks and everything in DOS. But uh, I, I just kept looking up graphics. Like I wanted graphics, 3D graphics to appear <laughs> like in my head that, that they were somewhere. 
you know, uh, in that computer, but, mm. you know, um, certainly in software you'd have to buy. Yeah. I, I just remember that era, and there was a game, I think it was called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? I Something, had it. You had that one? I had it, <laughs> and it came with this thick index. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's one of the games that sort of, you know, defined a generation of, of folks like me. That yeah. Were just Because yeah, it yeah. was that storytelling, wasn't it? It was like... It was a mystery, and you had to find clues, and right. where is it, right. where is this thing hidden? And so, and it worked, because it was a, a learning game, and so if you combine sort of the choices you have to make, mm-hmm. and, and the consequence with, with, the, with the learning, uh, you can retain it, and so... I know the capitals of like obscure states, mm. in the, or obscure capitals of, of various states in the uh, U.S. because of that game. Yeah. Because I had to travel to go find the bad guy. Right. And you know, and it would be like the capital of you know Montana, and then I'd have to choose what that was, and yeah. I remember. Yeah. And then I remember the traveling. It was really, you know, um, sort of primitive as yeah. it goes. Yeah. But, but for its time, I mean, it. It did what you're talking about. Sort of, you got involved in the story, mm-hmm. and you were solving a mystery. And all of it, all of it. It was the story. Stories are how you learn. Um, and then it created that context and that relevancy. Yeah. You know, and and that was really the spark. Um, you know, of 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 not sort of learning. You know, the cat. In my example, the capitals of all the states, mm-hmm. sort of in a rote way, but learning them where there was context and relevancy, and you needed them. And that is certainly how I work. I've mm-hmm. always learned by doing. I learned how to play my sports by just throwing myself in it. I learned how to start a company and build a company, mm-hmm. not because I listened particularly well in any business classes. Um, in fact, I didn't even bother to take any. Mm-hmm early on uh in my undergrad um so yeah that and that what you just sort of described really captured the spark of why i went into using uh games i saw the incredible effectiveness and power for effective communication in games and i wanted to harness that Mm -hmm. to solve really big problems and change lives Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So um, talk to us then about your high school years and what sort of things you enjoyed at that time. I was a good student. Um, I, you know, I'm a competitive person, n- not with others, mm-hmm. but more with myself. Um, and that, you know, played out well in sports. Uh, in academics, I wanted to have an A because that was that was the best you could get. So mm-hmm. I wanted to have an A and everything. Um, not again, uh, because of other people. I wanted to, I wanted that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was uh, driven, uh, you know, in school, but I, I also had a lot of interests and I, you know, I wasn't a brilliant student, but, um, you know, I, you know, I applied myself. Um, I was really interested in Latin. I took a lot of Latin. Um, I was I was good at math, not great. Um, uh, I was interested in science, uh, but English and theater were, you know, I I I really saw myself as an actress. Mm. Yeah, and so um, I, I you know I wanted to pursue that. Um, and sort of the creative side of that, and I also what, what yeah. did you enjoy about being on the stage or the storytelling? Hmm. You know, when I was little, I would I'd watch movies, and I said I want to I want to be on that screen because they are telling really important stories. Hmm. 
and I want to do that. Mm. Um, and so uh, that that's sort of the direction I thought that you know I was going to try to go. But I but I didn't know. I mean, I, I didn't know. I didn't really have a plan. Yeah. But I was willing to like show up and work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you get to the end of your high school years. Is what did you know have have a some sort of idea that drama was what you wanted to do, or, or what what happened next? Yeah, so um, I applied to several liberal arts uh, schools. Um, I was told at a young age that I was going to college. So I was like getting to the best college you can, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I, you know, that was the, my parents' way of saying you're going to college. And I played ice hockey for a while and I also uh, attended an acting conservatory as um as part of that I went to Cornell University but but entering um deciding and entering which school uh I was going to go to um you know I went for the liberal arts education and to play ice hockey and you know and to grow up as as one does in the you know back then it was mid 90s mm-hmm. um but i later found out that uh you know me talking about an english degree or a theater degree was uh really scary for my parents because like what's the plan after spending a lot of money right on that and um I, the story is that my father knew someone who had a son who had graduated from a liberal arts college with an English degree and had a job. So apparently that eased my father. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a precedent here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right. And is that what you ended up studying? Yeah, I had a double major in mm-hmm. English and theater and um, with a concentration on, on acting at at Cornell University, which is a was a, uh, the, in the liberal arts school, so mm-hmm. I was able to take a little bit of everything mm-hmm. um, uh, in humanities, and uh, and and I, you know, wrote a dissertation and everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But that was your specialty area, was it? Yeah, yeah. in theater, yeah, and acting. Mm. And were you? Did you continue doing that acting sort of as you graduated, or? Is it, no. is it stayed as part of your life? I mean, it sounds well, like it I mean, was a big I could, part. I could argue that you know I'm presenting and selling every day. Right. Um, so in a way, yes, you know, very seriously. But no, I, I haven't. Um, I, I haven't performed on a stage. Um, I, you know, I haven't sort of performed in, on on any sort of film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I did is I graduated and I. Uh, had a little bit of money from working the summer before and I decided to drive out to Los Angeles with no plan um, except for I knew I could work find a job Mm -hmm. it's pretty confident and naive Um, but I ended up uh, randomly getting a um, a temp job with Flower Films which is Drew Barrymore's it was her new ish um, production company Hmm. and I ended up uh, sort of as a full-time personal assistant slash production manager, office manager hmm. of that. And uh, so that was really quite cool to have that experience so quickly hmm. after so what, school. So what years are we talking about? Sort of still late 90s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that, was that working with Drew Barrymore? Or? It was. Um, so she had a small team of folks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what happened right when I got there was 
uh, they were working on the pre-production of Charlie's Angels, the first Charlie's Angels movie. Right. So they yeah. needed more help in the office, sort of reading scripts, covering scripts, um, running the office, and then doing some um, personal errands for the production, but, but also um, uh, personal errands for Drew, which, you know, was was fun and funny at my age then, which was like 22. Yeah. So <laughs> I just couldn't relate, but it was... Uh, yeah, so what was, was that like? Time. Because she's she's like on another level of famous, like E.T., oh my gosh. you know? Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and so that's the thing. So she was only two years older than me. Right. And she um, just came from a completely different world mm. than I came from, not to mention her... Uh, fame at a young age yeah and uh um but she's just she was a very nice person Mm -hmm. you know i have not kept in contact but she was a very very nice person and the Mm -hmm. you know the interactions i had with her and and certainly her team um and they were doing they were doing good work Mm. she seems to have been a person who's kind of kept it together in a good way you know like because she must have been like four or five right when et was filmed. She was pretty young. She was young. I think she was um, around five. Yeah. And to, but that's like one of the iconic that's right. films yeah. of the last century. Yeah. You know, to be in it at that young age, and then go on. The point is to carve a career and to do Ever After and these, you know, Charlie's Angels and other things um, as well. Dozens. Yeah. Dozens of different movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So that's quite an introduction as a, a first real job. But it. Uh, so a couple things happened. First of all, it really quickly gave me insight that if I wanted to really go into that industry, the entertainment industry, whether I'm trying to act or um, produce mm-hmm. and, and be involved in production, what that looks like. So even if, you know, you know, in the rare chance that I'm, you know, super, super successful 10, 15, 20 years down the road into this path, do I want, do, do I like this? I see. So I got to see that, not just from Drew Barrymore, but there were, you know, a cadre of very successful people around her working in that industry. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do, am I interested in that? If, you know, if all goes well, am mm. I interested in that? Mm. Combined with, at the time, in SiliconValley.com was just exploding. Mm. And I was really interested in that. Most of my peers from university went to Silicon Valley. I see. Or, you know, New York, you know, Wall Street Investment Bank. But, mm. but Silicon Valley, and they were working on these, uh, like, just, you know... And this is just before the dot com bust sort of yeah, time. Yeah, no, this right? like is it, the it, this is the bubble. This is the like this bubble. is the bubble Everybody's is expanding. Buying. Yeah, and um, you know, you have an an e commerce idea, like you know, yeah. a, apply the internet to X. Yeah, Y, Z. I mean, you name it. Yeah. Like the the ideas were crazy. And they're paying huge f- sums from memory, like to be on the Super Bowl ad for a oh, for a yeah, for yeah, a dot yeah, com yeah, startup. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so. Just so I was really interested in that, mm-hmm. and my boyfriend, who I'm married to, uh, was up there, and so I was going up there a lot. I and, see. Uh, we were visiting on on weekends and everything, and uh, I was sort of building a business model down in Los Angeles based on what I was seeing 
uh, in the production? Like, how would how would we use the internet essentially mm. to make the production process that I'm seeing down here more efficient? Mm. You know, and sort of a subscription basis. I had all these ideas, whatever. So I started to interview at companies in Silicon Valley. Long story short, with this idea. Long story short, um, I got a, a job at Alta Vista, hmm. which was one of the first yeah. uh, search engines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, you know, I was an early employee, sub 50, uh, and the place just just expanded mm-hmm. in, the, in the in 18 months or two years or however long I was actually there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had four or five different roles, a huge responsibility. I was learning from uh, folks that, you know, were 35 and 40 that had, you know, Harvard business degrees and they were moving their families out. I'm like, I'm learning from them and they're just, you know, and it's like, go figure this out. It was just, it was, it was really wild, but also really good, good time to be, to be learning from Mm -hmm. there. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's what got me sort of working in, in technology and, and sort of that Mm -hmm. sort of rapid innovation world. Yeah. And what was, uh, well, maybe just unpack it a little bit more. What was Mm -hmm. that like? Because now I think we kind of look back with hindsight, but you're talking about like just before Facebook, right? And oh, it's, yeah. it's like a couple of years before. And, yeah. Um, yeah. What was the environment like, you know? <laughs> Interesting. You just reminded me of something. So part of my job, I ran the community center of Alta Vista, which was a page where you set up your own pictures and your own designs and you shared them with oh, the community. Right. I mean, it like, you know, it was all about understanding online communities, and yeah. um, I was really, really into that. But uh, what was it like? Um, you know, there were all kinds of ideas, and it was like the, the sky's the limit. We should try this. We should try this. We should, we should try to monetize this. We should blow out channels that are relevant to different topics um, mm-hmm. and sell those, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> monetize those. Um yeah, I mean, it, it was it so it's was a pretty exciting time. It was exciting, and you know, you'd walk around Palo Alto, and you'd you know hear people at, at restaurants and cafes like constantly working and like you know putting deals together. And I, I mean, it was it was really cool. Mm. It was really so. Cool. Did you see in that cohort of people? Did you see a vision of what you wanted in ten or fifteen years? Do you think, or like you had with the you know the film side of things? Yeah. Um, not necessarily, but I was really interested in the entrepreneurship piece. I was starting to get an inkling of like, well, how do people start these companies? Right. You know, you have ideas, and you know, how do they, how do they get them started, mm-hmm. and what does that all mean? And um, and essentially, I kind of did that with my um, my uh, L.A. idea. I mean, I I put a sketch of a business plan together. I didn't know anything about that. It, you know, as a way to essentially got me a job, and I didn't pursue that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I just was passionate about the space of that innovation and, and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and um, technology to solve problems and communicate. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So what happened next? So 9-11 happened. Right. And... Um, and that was right uh, right after the dot-com bust. And um, uh, my now husband and I are both from Pittsburgh. And we moved back, and I said, um, hey, uh, we're not moving back to Pittsburgh, so we can stop by, but then we got to figure out something else to do. 
but um, when we stopped by, we connected uh, pretty quickly with Carnegie Mellon, um, and they were doing something that, that just blew my mind, and I didn't think could possibly be going on in Pittsburgh after coming out of the sort of Stanford, seeing all of that technology and that mm -hmm. commercialization at the, the height of dot-com. Mm -hmm. And so that that's what happened. We drove back to Pittsburgh, and I got uh, connected with this this new program at Carnegie Mellon. Wow. So what, what shape did that program take, or what were you doing there? Yeah, well, uh, what happened is I met the founders of the program, and they were literally in an attic um, at Carnegie Mellon, and they had started the Entertainment Technology Center, which was an interdisciplinary program. Mm-hmm where you had to actually had to build things. And so this is 2001, the end of 2001, and I'm looking at, you know, animatronic robots that are, like, you know, talking to me, and I'm looking at someone that's using motion capture and 3D animation to teach Tai Chi in virtual reality. Like, I mean, it just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what is this? what is this? This is like graphics. <laughs> this is storytelling. These are worlds, virtual worlds. Um, so it, it, it and uh, the one skill that I didn't realize that I had, but then it, it dawned on me was I work really well with different types of people. So when I was at Alta Vista, they, I was the one they would send to talk to the CEO and the board, to talk to the engineers, to talk to the user team, to talk to the sales folks. I was the one sort of piece that, that went around, and I thought, how could this be? I'm, you know, 23 years old, and literally, like, we can't go talk to the sales group. You need to go do it. Mm. You know, and that confused me. So the program at Carnegie Mellon, they needed that. That's what they were trying to cultivate. Mm. And so they said, why don't you get your graduate degree? And uh, so I did. I went back and got my graduate degree at, at the Entertainment Technology Center um, and learned all about interdisciplinary, rapid prototyping of solutions, uh, and, um, and sort of started everything, uh, you know, the last 18 years of my life from there. Wow, that's amazing. So that's what's kept you busy for the last 18 years mainly? That's... Well, so of course it's evolved in mm -hmm. uh, uh, in in some pretty big ways in different directions. But um, I was really interested as a student. Uh, Randy Pausch was my advisor. He's known for the last lecture, um, and basically my interests were all about can you use games for effective learning? And it turns out that good game design parallels proven principles mm -hmm. for learning. And so I wanted to harness the power of games to solve big problems. And essentially, uh, before I even graduated, I was knocking on industry doors saying, how would you, how would you use this? Like, mm -hmm. what problems do you guys have? And mm -hmm. uh, it turns out they, have a, they had and have a massive training issue. Um, mm -hmm. And so they were wondering uh, how they could do training more effectively and more efficiently because they're spending the money on training anyway and it wasn't working. And then they, they coupled that with, hey, how are we gonna train the next generation of workforce? Mm. in something that they will understand. So, you know, mm -hmm. um, interactive, you know, technology and learning. Um, and so 
I started this company, Simcoach Games, which is still around today. It's 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And we built, you know, several hundred training games to solve big problems Mm. uh, across industries. And at the same time, I was also a professor at Carnegie Mellon in the same program that I came out of. And I've advised, um, uh, you know, hundreds of projects that look at uh, user experience and apply them to solve problems. And it could be in education or, or other industries. It could be uh, VR, AR, uh, sort of mixed reality of all types. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key is um, designing for an interactive, participatory experience. And uh, interestingly enough, um, I always say that uh, while we have the greatest, you know, technologists and, and uh, artists that come together in this program, really we're not making them better at their discipline. Mm-hmm. We're essentially um, producing leaders that have really good soft skills because it's not so much about this awesome thing that they develop, this experience, or where it's deployed or how it's deployed or how it sort of solves a problem. Mm-hmm. It's about the process of working with clients or working with kids that will be the users or whomever, working with each other, building, failing, iterating. All of those things are mm-hmm. prime skills that um, the employers are, are sucking them up for. Mm. So it's more the soft skills that um, come from having the experiences that has taught them. Yeah. Apply it in a different context, different situation, different user case. That's it. And then take what you've learned and do it there. Yeah. And and the employers say, it's like, why do you hire our students? Um, you know, they're not the best coders. I mean, they're, they're very good. <laughs> but, you know, uh, they don't have two PhDs in machine learning or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... Um, they said because they can, they they they, they want to solve problems. They jump in quickly. They don't know this technology. They'll learn it. Mm. Uh, they can present and they can be shot down and they can come back the next day with a smile on their face and present something else. And mm. uh, you know they they jump in and they add. They contribute and they make right away. Mm. And that's why we hire hire these folks. And uh, so, how do you cultivate the attitude? It sounds like of the student or the population. Like, what is it that you're throwing at them to get them to think in that way? Yeah, well, you're throwing a client, a challenge, um, and different disciplines, and you're throwing them in a room and saying, "You've got 16 weeks, and you got to actually build something that works." Right. And um, and then you you support them with process. You support them with an interdisciplinary faculty mm-hmm. uh, and connections galore. And you coach them, and you, and that's how you do it. And and they they fail, and it's not easy, and it just it just works. That's the learning process, right? <laughs> it's the learning process, and you yeah. make them, you know, take improvisational acting, and you make them, um, even if they're all engineers, and you. So why do yeah. you make them do that? So. I like it, but I just want yeah, to understand. Yeah. So the so the core of the program when it was started is is the founder said um hey you know we're the best in computer science at carnegie mellon and we're the you know we're very high up there in fine arts and design Mm -hmm. and certainly drama um and business school how do we create a graduate program where you hire our students and um because they didn't want it to just be any sort of sort of mfa or whatever Mm -hmm. um and the employers were like Disney and Pixar and Electronic Arts. Mm-hmm. And they said, make them take improvisational acting and make them work with clients and make them build things. Mm-hmm. And so improvisational cli- uh, acting was, 
was part of that. Um, there are rules in improvisational acting, mm-hmm. if you know anything about it, mm-hmm. and it's you know be fun to Say play yes. with. Yeah, yeah, serve serve the story mm-hmm. and uh, make your partner look good. And so by practicing that in no tech environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to translate that into your projects and into, you know, your work life where you're going to be collaborating with people. Right. Because uh, it's it's hard when you're a technologist and you're an artist or you're a designer or whatever to be like, to you, you got to empathize with each other's um, challenges. Mm. Yeah, I've heard it phrased or maybe this resonates, but, you know, the, with improvisational acting, you have to say yes to the person who's presenting you their information. Yes, you can't, and. You, yeah, exactly. You yes, can't and. say no. You have to say yes, and. Yeah. So yeah. It, the situation is um, I'm here with a, you know, a zebra. Yes, yes and. Yes, <laughs> and he's got purple stripes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that is um, something that I've taught to my husband, yes, and. And mm. he's very frustrated with me. He tries to employ the yes, and. Right. But you can see him, you know, boiling inside. What are we doing? You know. yeah. <laughs> like, yes, and can we do this, yeah. please? Yeah, oh, that's good. Well, this, the interesting thing to me is what we started the conversation talking about your early childhood and, you know, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Like, that's, it's kind of like an echo back, isn't it, what you're doing today? So what sort of things are you really involved in now and keeping you busy? Yeah, so... Um, so I started the company 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and so the company was, you know, trying to, to figure out how to apply video games for training. For many years, we worked with uh, large organizations across industries. I mean, if we didn't develop the game or design it, I bet you we talked about it. Mm. I mean, just the applications were just so m- many and varied. Mm. Uh, over time, the the technology, of course, evolved, and, and even our um, we even pivoted as a company, you know, arguably four or five times. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, our strategy in the last few years has really been around workforce development. So, not using video games to train folks mm-hmm. in organizations, although we still do that, but more of a focus on how do we engage the next generation of workforce in their interests and aptitudes and do some skill building and then connect them to pathways. I see. So we're looking at this large issue in the U.S., the skill skills gap issue, mm-hmm. um, where you have uh, this next generation that doesn't know about the careers that are uh, available, let alone what they would be interested in or, or what aptitudes that they, that they really have. And so we're using video games to... Um, really uh, assess and engage um, individuals in their own way. And if they're interested, uh, we can connect them to training or employment pathways from from the video games. Mm. Um, And then, uh, you know, I've served on um, quite a few boards, uh, both nonprofit, large art organizations, um, healthcare, uh, innovation, funding organizations. um, And uh, in particular, spent the last five to seven years in workforce development, which seven years ago, I didn't even know what workforce development meant. Mm-hmm. But um, that is really sort of addressing um, our nation's solutions, public solutions to um, getting people uh, skilled and and uh, connected with, with industries. And so uh, it's been that work that has really sort of evolved the strategy for the games. And now we are... 
doing a lot more work where we're having kids or youth actually make the games. Hmm. And so it's kind of full circle uh, where, you know, you don't have to be um, a really highly skilled um, graduate student to create solutions to learn the benefits or the soft skills. Mm. What if you're um, a a youth from a low-income, underserved community? What if we put you in a position where you have to work with other folks, you have a client, you have a problem, and you have to solve it? And we're using VR, and we're using games, and we're using cool tech, but it's really not about that at all. Mm-hmm. It's forcing them to build a solution and, and, and express their ideas and create something together uh, where the outcome is really um, these employability skills. They, they worked on teams. They collaborated. They are mm-hmm. organized. They're learning um, you know, uh, presentation skills. They're, they're maybe they're learning different software as sort of a, a, a means to an end to uh, satisfy their project. Um, and they're getting all of these skills um and and also looking at what what they're interested in as part of that process that really most of the time with the kids that we have it has nothing to do with VR and games mm. but uh but it was a way to get them in and so now uh right now we're looking at how can we scale that how can we scale that and benefit more folks mm. um uh and it's it's important it's important um not only for uh, economic development in our country across uh, you know the biggest industries but um it's really important for the individual you know we see so many folks um that you know they might be in their mid to late 20s and they you know they tried something and it didn't work out and it's like what do i what am i going to do now and Mm -hmm. you know it goes back to why i got so passionate about games communication tools you know, um, games provide that context with, with goals and rules and choice and consequence and feedback. Um, and, and they can be uh, uh, connectors and they can affirm people and, that, and they can hold people accountable. Mm. And so, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to, to catch people maybe earlier or whatever, but to reaffirm them using these games or them making the games. Um, to really figure out what they want to, you know, what their purpose and, and, and what they want to go after. And then showing them how to connect on those pathways or, or straight up jobs. Mm. It sounds like it becomes quite a personalized experience for them as well. Like it helps them choose the area, you know, a bit like what you were describing with the, um, the movie industry. Like, yeah. can you see yourself doing this 10 years from now, 15 years from now? That's exactly it. And, you know, we're really leveraging, um, a, you know, a few major trends right now. But one of them is media consumption. Right. And a lot of folks that are over 30 or over 40 don't realize um, what media consumption that their lifestyle is, is really like for uh, folks that are you know, under 30. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about one silver, silver bullet video game. It might be these two-minute games peppered over time. Mm-hmm. And then the sharing of, of your score or the outcome of that game, mm-hmm. that might be how we tackle this. So you learn a little bit about this, a little bit about this, a little bit of this over time, and you share these things. And that's really um, how you learn about these different industries and how you project yourself. Uh, hey, you know, I really, I, 
I really like this problem solving in, in, and I have really good spatial reasoning and spatial reasonings are used in something called advanced manufacturing, which is really highly technical and Mm. um, not what I thought manufacturing was all about. And, oh my gosh, you can make, you know, $70,000, you know, year one after, you know, just a little bit of training with upward mobility and, oh oh my gosh, I didn't even know that, you know, so Mm -hmm. these things start, maybe starts with this short game that's a that's a problem solving puzzle game about spatial reasoning yeah that sparked that yeah and what ages are the people who are doing this playing the games or making the games Uh, or both yeah Yeah. um uh you know right now um we haven't scaled it in a a great big way but Mm -hmm. you know we're trying to get middle school and high school Mm -hmm. aged yeah so you know as young as as 13 and um uh yeah and and you know certainly in their twenties. Mm. No, it's great. I I just think the skills for the next generation is going to be so important that they are able to think in that way. And you know, my daughter, she's twelve, the oldest child, and she was telling me the other day about her technical class. And I said, "What are you doing?" And she said, "Oh, we're coding." Uh, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like yeah. it, it, you know, it's basic coding, but it's like the character on the screen. You want them to walk five steps and stop and then say something and then move on. And That's right. Like she's learning these skills at age 12. So, That's right. And everyone yeah. should learn those, regardless yeah. of what program or, you know, mm. if they're using... Um, you know, a digital character or a robot or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's digital literacy. That's part of it. Yeah. And and I, it's also motivating. Like, if you see, uh, you know, you moving your character and they move the wrong way, but then you go back and fix it and they move the right way, mm-hmm. it's like, that is like, it gives you confidence. You solve that problem and mm-hmm. you're able to see it quickly and you use the code as a, ma- a means to an end. It's yeah. really powerful stuff. Yeah. And, and games have such a potential to help people who would be excluded otherwise. So I'm just thinking, I interviewed someone named Zoe um, Hector f- from a game, it's called Talk Town. So basically she grew up with some um, people in her family who were deaf. And so she's not deaf, but she can sign. And she's developed this game um, where deaf children can interact and learn skills because the the subtlety of some of the body language and things they you know the the language is something they wouldn't necessarily pick up and having gaining confidence through it to say can you please look at me when you talk so that they can read the lips and you know it's but it's using a game to be able to empower people it's pretty powerful another area for for games you know that reminds me of what you just said is sort of this this role playing this practice Mm -hmm. you know people are um you know uh more willing to take risks and try things and do role playing Mm -hmm. you know whatever form that looks like you know in the case of talk town yeah uh and not mess it up Mm. to learn as opposed to sitting sitting in front of someone so Mm. Oh, that's really good. Well, what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll put some links and then people can click through and find great. out more. Um, but I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been great to chat. And thanks, for, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me in New Zealand. No, no problem. Thank you. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jessica. I know for me, there were several things that I enjoyed hearing about, in particular, just her life story and what it is that led her to what she's doing today. And I love that idea that fun can be used with education. I know with young children, that had a lot of resonance for me. If you enjoyed this, then you might want to check out some of the earlier episodes as well, because I've literally done dozens and dozens of other interviews with people who are doing great things in the world. Until next time. Mm-hmm.